0: That sci-fi love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mar face evil's mind.
1: Marble. And I'm Corwin Kroll.
2: And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode two seventy four. Or as Corwin and I refer to it as two seventy-four B and And you might get an explanation for that, or you might not. Let's see how let's see how this all shapes up. Oh god. Uh, at least at least we like to think we're gonna be highly entertaining in this in this episode. <laughs> If not, we're, if not this will be our version of the drunk episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh drunk on drunk on snow. Snow Uh okay, so and this Yeah, you're getting you're getting buried
1: up there, aren't you?
2: That's <laughs> so the Germans would have us believe. <laughs> At the moment, uh yeah, the as we speak this is on this recording is two, is Monday night, so what, the thirteenth, so Yeah, the forecast is not looking promising. anywhere, for us anyway, I think we're supposed to get, like, somewhere between, like, 17 to 24 inches of snow. Obviously, I'm hoping that's not the case, but... Because it's been a long time since we've had that much in one, one fell swoop. But, we'll see. Uh... Luckily, uh, it's not supposed to snow until 2 o'clock, so... <coughs> 2 a.m. So, this is this is one of the reasons why Corwin and I wanted to get this sucker done tonight, as opposed to rolling the dice that I was going to have power tomorrow night. <laughs> and I hope I really do have power, but it would suck to not be able to record because of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So this episode, which, again, hopefully will be entertaining, we'll cover... Well, we'll be entertaining. Maybe the material <laughs> won't <will> be... <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll be covering Green Lanterns So we'll be doing issue 14 and 15 We'll wrap up the Phantom Lantern arc And then we do the Day in the Life Filler issue Which leads into the Darkest Nights uh, Storyline That'll be in the next episode we cover uh, So I get the I I get the joy And I'm okay with it Of taking the wrap up of the Phantom Lantern arc So let's begin with that <clears throat> Issue 14, which has a – the standard cover is pretty awesome with, you know, Frank unleashing the full power of the emotional spectrum on Jessica and Simon, or as we like to say, Frank, Frank is going full emotional spectrum, and you never go full emotional spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> but no one ever told Frank that, so he, he's got about about as much training in his, as Jessica and Simon, so – and Volthoom's doing his own thing, so he really doesn't care what the hell happens to Frank – um so uh, the epi- the issue begins where the last one left off which was at the memorial to the destroyed not destroyed redestroyed Coast City the Mo- Coast City Mo- the memorial park at this uh, power battery little statue there Jessica and Simon but there's you know the standard introduction of who they are their partners dealing with the phantom lantern yada yada last time we saw Frank we thought he was blowing up real good instead he hasn't really blown up, he just went full indigo, which is really freaky. <laughs> Knock. <laughs> Knock on wood. He is really of all the lanterns, it's kind of it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting issue because it does deal with Frank being compassionate, which is certainly not anything we've ever seen in Frank before, but it's 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 really, it's a weird it's really disturbing on some levels. That big splash page of him floating, uh as an indigo lantern Mm -hmm. so this is Phantom Lantern part 5 let's go through the creative crew Sam Humphrey's writer Eduardo Pansica and Ronan Cliquette pencils Julio Ferreira and Ronan Cliquette inks, blonde colors, Dave Sharp letters, Robson Roca, Jay Lee Steen, and Jason Wright did the cover, Emanuele Lupicino and Michael Adie did the variant cover, Angie Marino, assistant editor, Mike Cotton, the editor, and still here, for whatever reason, Eddie Braganza remains, gr- <laughs> remains the group editor. With all that blackmail information he has on DC, the man just keeps rolling ahead. <laughs> uh, so, Across town from where Jessica and Simon and Frank are, we have the more interesting part of the book. <laughs> we have Volthoom and Raimi go and squaring off. Emperor Volthoom is there you know, going after Raimi. Raimi kind of looks like a troll there or, or an elf with his super pointy ears and super pointy nose. And... Raimi's kind of like, almost like being like an Obi-Wan to Anakin here, trying to go to Volthoom. Was like, you are my brother, Volthoom! <laughs> it's like, we were friends, I understood you, you know, I, I didn't turn against you when everybody else thought you were nuts, and they were right, but I didn't turn my back on you. It's like... And Ra- and Volthoom's like, ah, that was like 10 billion years ago, <laughs> why'd you get over it? <laughs> let it go, man, let it go! was uh, like, I wish you never came to our planet and he kind of kind of almost he kind of pushes Volthoom's buttons a little here when he goes oh, like we didn't need you to discover the emotional or master the emotional spectrum we could have and and, and Volthoom cuts him off is like aha you could have but you didn't you know i i am the acolyte the bearer of the emotional spectrum and you cannot have the green lanterns without me have, he, he, he looks
1: like a, the emperor there.
2: Yeah, he looks. Let's be honest, he's looked like the emperor a lot in this story arc. <laughs> Maybe it's not even a coincidence him wearing him wearing the Sith robes, but he definitely <laughs> is very uh, Palpatine-esque, not just in action as a puppet master, but as in as in look. Uh, Raimi kind of tells him, you know, you know, go back to where you came from, and obviously we'll get more of this picking up on this concept in a few few issues down the road but Volthum makes the point of you know i i tried to go back remember i wanted to go back but but i but i couldn't and the, one of the coolest lines in the book when Volthum just goes to Raimi, is like that's always been a curse of your kind guardian you can't conceive of anything you don't already know <laughs> which is dead on right <laughs> yep yep so it's so simon and jessica are dealing with, with frank frank is speaking in nakies <laughs> And luckily, thank God, they they translate for us, so we don't have you know, so we don't have to have all these hieroglyphics and word bubbles. Like, I feel infinite compassion for everyone. You two had every right to let me die, but you saved me, and then compassion bloomed in my heart. Uh, Jessica kind of wants to interrupt, that she really, at least because she doesn't really know what's going on. Simon just kind of tells her to let it play out. Uh, Frank just goes on about you know, uh, you know. What I did to to Nazir, pulling that fear out of him, that was horrible. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, Raimi has to be careful because of Volthoom. And, and of course, right when he was about to give some valuable information, (laughs) Frank, of course, kind of goes on, digs a little, internally, he digs a little deeper, and he realizes, and he acknowledges, you know, I've been a terrible son. My mother and my father, my brothers, their families, I never see them. Jessica's kind of had enough of this uh, pity party, and it's like, uh, you know, you said you said Volthoom, you know. Answer me, obviously, because we know Jessica has ties to a Volthoom. <laughs> mm-hmm. in the Volthoom neighborhood. Maybe not this Volthoom. but you know, so Frank just keeps going, keeps going on about the. You know, I realized you know every human life is precious, and you know we're all unique, like snowflake. <laughs> he's really going. This, in a way, it's 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 nice, but it's still kind of Frank because he's still going, he's still going off the deep end and making compassion creepy. <laughs> <laughs> It's like that it's like, yes, compassion it will triumph over evil, it's all so simple. I'll be the I you know I will be the hero for them. My heart feels as big as the world and it <laughs> Oh, it makes the world go around <laughs> and he starts crying. You can quote me on quote that quote me on that.
0: <laughs> <He, laughs> uh oh,
2: corny <laughs> Frank drops he drops to his knees and he's begging forgiveness and when I when I first saw this, it just kind of it kind of reminds me of uh, like Green Lantern Zero back in the day when uh, Hal and Kyle were fighting on Oa, and Kyle and Hal was pretty much drained of all his parallax power at the time, and he's kind of like crying, going, you know, I I need the, I need more power to make everything right because if I, if I can't set things right, I won't be a hero. I'll be one of the bad guys, and the tears were streaming down Hal's face. So, uh, so you know. Frank pretty much acknowledges that, you know, what he did was wrong, you know, pain, the Phantom Ring caused so much pain, I'm not ready for it, so he takes the ring off. As soon as he takes the ring off, real Frank comes back. He's <laughs> like, what the hell am I doing? Let me put this back on. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Simon kind of slams into him, gives him a, almost like a cross-body block. The Phantom Ring goes flying. Simon and and Frank kind of like squabble and fight while Jessica catch it, you know, sees the ring bouncing towards her. Frank goes for the ring. Jessica doesn't know what to do because she's kind of like frozen. There's a surprise. <laughs> and Simon goes, Jessica, don't let him get it. She picks up the phantom ring. She puts it on. And we have a nice little a duplicate splash page of exactly what happened when Simon put the, pay, put the ring on several issues ago. As we have pretty much Jessica cycling through the entire emotional spectrum. It's a little cooler with her, her because of that, the little you know construct thing over her eye, how it changes color.
0: <laughs> matches and,
2: yeah it does end with the little and in, in the indigo thing popping up on her head and, and actually even the red napalm shooting out of her mouth so it, it is it is kind of cool and she's really she's she just realizes the phantom ring pretty much and initially plays off your strongest emotion so she's really afraid that it's going to be fear which is kind of funny <laughs> wouldn't that kind of make it so like a self-fulfilling prophecy then I'm afraid I'm afraid <laughs> uh but as a big surprise to Jessica, if not anybody else, uh, the strongest emotion she's feeling at the time is is green. It's will, so a very, very cool splash page actually of Jessica, like oh, kind yeah. of unleashing the green uh, her green power. Frank looking completely insane. It's like no, that's my ring. I deserve it. Take off my ring now. And she's like, okay, I can take it off. You know, I don't need it to do this. And now she's like. Now her, con- like her constructs have been amped up, dialed up to 11 now. <laughs> I mean, they're still just basically energy swirls, but her confidence in them has been dialed up to 11. So she pretty much traps, shoots energy squirrels and ties Simon to, Simon, excuse me, Frank to the, the power battery statue there at the memorial. Uh, she's all cocky. Hey, check me out. <laughs> <laughs> she her brief contact with the Phantom Ring has kind of made it clear that she doesn't want to have anything to do with the Phantom Ring, so she drops it off in Simon's hand, and Simon, of course, keeps looking at it. He keeps looking at it, and he's kind of reminded of you know how it felt when he had it on, and he's kind of tempted to put it on, but Jessica snaps him out of it kind of inadvertently by calling to him because she's just going construct crazy. <laughs> she's got energy swirling every which way but loose over here. <laughs> So that snaps Simon out, so he kind of like forgets about the you know, Phantom Ring for a while. They're they're patting each other on the back, have their arms around each other, congratulating each other, and lo and behold, we actually get some real Green Lanterns showing up in this book. Oh yeah. <laughs> though not the ones you probably would have expected. Uh, you have you have Vath and Isamot Cole show up. Like, what the hell is all this? It's like. Uh, pretty much Jessica has no idea what's going on um, Simon obviously should know what's going on <laughs> since he did interact with the core but pretty much they did send out a distress signal earlier when all when everything was going to pot earlier <laughs> in the series F- finally you know Vath and Isamot show up because now the green Lantern core is actually back and functioning and you know it's like we got your we got your emergency beacon what's going on it's like uh, well, it's a Simon tries to give the abridged version. There's this Phantom Ring. It taps into the spectrum. Yada yada. Nobody really. They, like they have no. Un, they, it's like we don't know what you're talking about. We've never heard of this. And that's when Raimi all of a sudden shows up, and he goes, "Let me assure you, this is indeed an emergency." And he has an energy sphere he's holding in both hands, where where Volth, where he tells us that Volthoom has been captured, <laughs> Vath and Isamak pretty much are going hey you're 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 a guardian and 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 what <laughs> really is about in particular goes i thought you were all dead vath is funnier because like you had a guardian you didn't tell anyone
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: i want a guardian <laughs> it'll be like a willy wonka i want a guardian <laughs> <laughs> violet no uh so uh Raimi's like oh i'm not dead i'm just exiled and Jessica's surprised that Raimi's back and looking so well. It's like, you're okay? So the Phantom Lantern said said Volthoom when it's like, ah, I've been friends with Volthoom for a long time. You know, he kind of explains later later on. It's like, so I was able to trick him, but for now, Volthoom, you know, his essence is trapped in this fear, and and everything's good, supposedly. <laughs> Frank continues to act, you know, batshit crazy. Uh, There's a really close-up panel of, of the of these bloodshot eyes they are going when i get yeah. my when i get my ring back you know i'm going to show you the hero i really am and they're like uh yeah <laughs> as and they're going to take they're going to take him to the justice league watchtower i kind of like i kind of like vath going uh oh welcome um, to the green lantern corps you'll have a whole collection of freaks before you know it yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, is is a little, you know, he is a lizard after all, so he's a, a little more rough around the edges. It's like a guardian. You're coming with us to Mogo to Green Lantern headquarters because, La- you know, Gr- John Stewart will, will will want to speak with you immediately. And Raimi's like, who are you to order me around? It's like I'm a. Guard- I first created the Green Lantern rings, and plus I know what it's like to, you know, the danger ha- or the tragedy of how a, basically an untrained ring bearer what could befall them. So she, he says, I'm going to take it upon myself essentially to train Simon and Jessica. So basically, you guys get the hell like, go back where you belong. <laughs> and neither one of the Vath or Isamad are not really happy with that. And it's go, well, we're leaving for now, but we're gonna we're gonna be back. <laughs> this is in the end, man. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Je- Jessica's kind of Jessica's kind of like, how did you escape anyway? And you know, I. That's when that's he goes into he tries to go into the you know the the the, the basic explanation of yeah how I, you know I was able to trick Volthoom because I knew him but then we cut to this nice little black and white page basically where we see what actually happened which was a uh, you know Emperor Volthoom pretty much pulled the essence slash soul of Ramy out of his own uh, out of his body trapped him in the sphere Volthoom put his own essence and soul into Ramy's body and pretty much now he's uh masquerading as Raimi. <clears throat> and I like I like that little bubble for a brief moment, not that anybody else can see it pretty much but us when, when <laughs> Raimi's calling out,
0: Simon, Jessica, that's not me <laughs> <laughs> And
2: you, and then you have a little dual in this panel a little dual uh, duality of you have the image of Fulfoon behind this close up of Raimi and they both saying at pretty much at the same time, Earth is in good hands next issue the battle of slash maybe for Jessica Cruz
1: <laughs> yeah that scene where he's stealing Rami's soul looks like he's hitting him with force lightning
2: yeah that, that is true there's there's just not much you can't be much more Palpatine-esque and, 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 and I'm not really complaining about it that's pretty good take your place by my side <laughs> <laughs> nice
1: <laughs> you nailed it <laughs> So Remy looks like one of the Templar Guardians. He's got the whole clockwork thing going on with his head patch and his eyes being different colors. Uh, maybe that's how the Templars are, but it just seems a little weird for a guardian to look like that to me.
2: Yeah, he's kind of got the he he is that merger of kind of like the classic guardians and the and the and that complete like hip, hippie esque Templar guardians. He's kind of he kind of like was in between, you know. It was like it, it's like he's kind of like got out of dodge just before, just before just before everything settled in. It's like it is, yeah. It's a unique fashion state, fashion statement. Uh, he is obviously, we know he's already established as having a more of a direct tie to the emotional spectrum than many guardians. And see, without any real logical explanation for it, because as we know, as half-assed as it was, they gave us the explanation of uh Ganthet's tied to the emotional spectrum being so strong because he had Volthoom's ring jammed down his throat. <laughs> don't swallow. Like, but that was a horrible explanation. I don't know what the hell Jeff Johns was thinking about that one. But he yeah. but he really did a number on crap. He really did a crappy job on Ganthet down the stretch. He really did take uh, as cool as Ganthet o- overall was and is, he kind of did take a dump on him by making him do some really horrible Maybe borderline un- unredeemable things or irredeemable well, things
1: that that was a way to boost how terrible the guardians had become
2: I know but but at least Gantha was the one you didn't want to go down that road because all the other True. all the others had been going down that road before, Gantha was always the one fighting them, so have Gantha do some of the some of the killing and some of the things that they did when they were going completely off the deep end and third Army was just that was just that was just bad <laughs> but um. So what did just so what what did, what did you think of Frank overall? <clears throat>
1: um looking back when well, this was storic was pretty long. Um he's unhinged and he's got this thing where he he's just always trying to prove himself, prove himself and I think uh one time I even called in a voicemail to you guys saying that he's like the anti guy. He's like not even anti, he's like the evil version of guy. That he can be probably his nemesis if he ever, you know, gets this ring again. It'll be interesting to see how those two would interact, seeing how they're always trying to prove themselves.
2: That is true, and Lord knows, as we'll talk about in the future episode, that guy, guy hasn't really evolved. On, as much as Guy has evolved on some levels and become a more well-rounded character, uh, he may be taking a step back on that. <laughs> he's he, yeah. he is a one. He's, he's becoming like a one-trick pony, where it's like, oh, I'm gonna hey, I'm I'm gonna prove how tough I am, even if it doesn't really make that much sense why I have to. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean they they gave him some real good form development in Red Lanterns. I was kind of sad to see that taken away, but
2: yeah, I was I was too. And like I said, I'm I, I don't want to go off on, on that rant now. I'm gonna save it for another episode. But w- once we get to the whole o guy thing, I'm I'm that's 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 gonna be what that's probably gonna be the best rant. Unless unless I've gotten it out of my system by then, <laughs> it's probably gonna be the best rant I've I at least had since the whole convergence. Parallax thing, just because our kill. We know our, our kill. As you and I have discussed, our killo just can't get a break, man. No, <laughs> he is. No, he can't. He is one character that's been. Every every time they take two steps forward, they take like eight steps back, and they just keep crapping on him, and it's and it's getting old. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not much happy. I'm still not overly. Enthralled about Saint Walker either, because I have a feeling that now Saint Walker is probably going to be off the table again. After one more issue, we probably won't see him again for a friggin' year. But
1: I don't know. I mean, they're going to try to rebuild hope, but well, that's another episode we'll get into that.
2: Well, yeah, I, I know, sometime. but it's but I don't know if we're going to be like seeing the steps, or he's just going to go off on his on his mission to do it, and then and then like show up one day. I, mean, I don't know what's going to. So I I I don't know. Uh, but yeah, we, some of this we'll also talk about when we do the state of the Green Lantern union kinda of, when we do that episode coming up soon because I think that uh some of these Ooh. some of these kind of or things that are that eat at me along with so many unexplained plot points that they don't pick up on and they don't give explanations like, the, for. like the, speaking of the guardian you know, the guardians being dead of course uh, why that there's no re- other than them thinking he's a crazy cl- he's, he's a classic guardian. There's no reason to think all the Templar Guardians are dead. I mean, you haven't seen them, but you you just know you were trapped in another universe in another time, and you were in dead. So why do you think they would necessarily be dead? I we we need an explanation for the Templar Guardians. We need to know where they are, what happened to them. We need to know what happened to the Green Lantern Corps. I mean these I mean these things. There's so many things that they're not really giving us.
1: How it's been? What it's been over a year now, hasn't it? Since the whole Lost Army,
2: since it started, yes, yeah, yeah. I think it's right. It's right around that. Right around that time, because I think it started right around. Um, it was right around Convergence. It was somewhere in Convergence that uh that started. So that, that actually Convergence was almost two years ago. So yeah, it's huh. so it's yeah so it's yeah it's over a year. It's over a year, I think, since it started. Yeah. Um so yeah, that, that's a long time not to get any kind of explanation. Plus, we know that was a that was an abortion of a storyline since they never picked up on any other interesting points that Cullen Bunn was playing with in the first six issues. None of them got talked about at all. The same and the other miniseries.
1: Yeah, the, the changing of the the lantern colors and stuff—they just kind of completely ignored. It's just
2: and yeah, and Krona and Kronos's relationship with Relic which which was even more I mean it's not going to shock anyone if Kronos was somehow responsible for screwing up and destroying that universe <laughs> it's not, It wouldn't surprise anybody you know that's if, he, True. if if he had played a role in that but I, I think it's really and this is something they still might revisit at some point i still want to know if so much of the the hate on that Relic has towards Lanterns is all, is because of Krona and, and the little info dump the Krona was giving him right when that miniseries got, the rug got pulled out from underneath it. Because we know he wasn't really hating, all, he didn't seem to have a whole lot of hate towards the lightsmiths of his universe at the time. He didn't sure. seem to have that hate at that time. So is it kind of like, almost like a self, like almost like a Terminator kind of thing, where, where because of the intervention of someone hop-skipping and jumping in, into another timeline where they don't really belong, that that's the reason why he hates the lantern so much so when he ends up in our universe and our timeline that he ha- that he, he absolutely doesn't give a shit what you have to say he's going to try to wipe you out and drain drain the emotional spectrum i th- i think it was curious i was fascinated by the idea of how much of how much influence krona C- really had on maybe corrupting relic and how much of that still stuck with relic as he kind of like traveled through the end of his universe through the wall into our universe i mean i i but that still could be picked up on whenever they bring krona back you know, in the, in a regular Green Lantern. But but there's lots of plot points, lots of stories that they're they're not dealing with. Uh, we obviously know they completely have seemingly not even wanted to acknowledge the Arquillo Saint Walker partnership, which is what where they were when that series ended, the Sinestro series ended. They were both partners on Earth, and Arquillo was reveling in being a hero, which completely they wiped. Which Robert Venditti seemingly wiped out immediately once they started. Hal Jordan in the core. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, yeah. Some, I don't want to – yes, yeah, we'll save some of this for that for that retros- for that that union review. Well, State of that, the union
1: one. I'm just trying to sit here and figure out what's taking them so long to actually do or say something about all that. But, you know, now that I put some thought into it, maybe they're going to tie it into the whole Watchmen thing. Maybe Dr. Manhattan has the Guardians or something like that, and that way they can pull the Lancers into that whole event thing they may have around
2: that. It's possible. That's a lot of – I mean uh, – and I was thinking this, too, because since obviously we know Frank, we know Frank's costume is very Parallax-esque, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we all know Convergence Parallax was treated like garbage three th- – he, was, he wasn't treated that great during Convergence because he wasn't really written like Hal. He wasn't written like Zero Hour Parallax. He wasn't, and even in the Tony Bedard miniseries, he wasn't really written the way he should have been, though he was closer than what King mm-hmm. and Robert Venditti have done with him. But as soon as as soon as parallax showed back up after help which it's which is so annoying because it's like he acknowledges in convergence that he's a character in need of redemption you know <laughs> which he kind of was at that time so what right. so he he actually achieved something greater than probably anything that he all the negative that he did during zero hour which was he helped save the multiverse <laughs> all those worlds and everything that were destroyed all those universes that were destroyed. And he helped save that along with Superman and Lois and the Flash and everything. And we don't know what happened in there. But you think he could come – that was an opportunity to kind of take the positive aspects of that character when you brought him back into our universe and do something with him. And then they just crapped on him so bad, so quickly. And they, they, King wrote him like he was an idiot. Venditti didn't quite get who he, what his goals were or what his motivation was either. And then they had the stupid fear entity they just rear its head so quickly. But again, referring to like you said about uh what's coming down the road, maybe with Watchmen and whatever, it's possible we might find out even with the multiverse thing. Because the we know the anti monitor, at least the classic anti monitor, was going to have some future ties to Parallax and the Sinestro Core, that maybe he maybe he kinda said something even subconsciously to influence the fear entities to kinda stir him up a little. So it, it, he kind of took over a little earlier than he maybe would have normally if Parallax had just kept going on his merry way. Since we know in real in our in real continuity after Zero Hour, we know you know how Parallax be, was acting still like Hal for a long period of time. So right. relatively long, you know, it's all relative in the way they condense everything in the DC timeline. But still, for for you know a couple of years afterwards. So
1: in our Arthur- well, well, we're we're up to what issue like. 1920
2: oh, what, the core either book. This. this book this book is getting close to like 20 I think I think the last issue of how and the core as we speak that came out was 16
1: okay well we'll be at issue 50 soon
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and ho- yeah and hope and hopefully they, they can do some justice because I I was really hoping when they brought when they brought convergence parallax back that we were gonna get that showdown between him and Sinestro. Yeah, that would have been cool. Because we've never seen that. We've never had the Hal Parallax square off against against Sinestro Parallax. I mean, so or even yes, yeah, Sinestro Parallax or just Sinestro Core leader Parallax. I mean, Sinestro. Sinestro. Yeah, we've never we've never seen that, and we know Parallax Hal had no love, as we saw in the, as he showed back up into our universe. He had no love once for any Sinestro Corps member once he found out there was such a thing. Thing, yeah. <laughs> and that's and again ending my Parallax rant really quick. Or the tangent. One of the things that really bugged me was, and I, and I even complimented Robert Venditti on this, when he first that first little appearance of Parallax setting up what was going to be in happen in, in number in fifty. You know, but I think when he first showed up like in forty eight, when mm-hmm. he when he wipes out the Sinestro Corps members and something about you know, uh, you know how the universe is in darkness or something, but Parallax will bring the dawn or something. That splash page I was like, oh, like that was just great. That was just glorious because you can actually see that being real Parallax doing something like that. And then boom! Before you know it, it's like, oh, I I can track Hal Jordan because I sense his fear. It's like, oh god, here we go. <laughs> the it, downward spiral. Yeah, it was kind of like, and I love Dan, and I love Dan Jurgens because obviously Dan would know how to write something in Zero Hour more than pretty much anybody. <laughs> But when they did that boost, their Booster Gold tie-in, when he had his show, had his episode, uh, had his series, and they did that issue, which was a zero-hour tie-in, when they were hopping and skipping in time, and they bump into Extant and Parallax along the way, and they just had to throw in something. that Parallax just had to say something like, "Oh, like he needed to confront Alan Scott, and you know, just you know, just to show, just so Alan could see that I, I, I." have outdone him, and that, to feel the fear in Alan, and all, it's like, oh, please, and I I know it wasn't probably his choice, I mean, Jeff Johns probably kind of, in DC, kind of, and or probably pressured him to do it, because this wasn't that far after the retcon, but it's like, oh, geez, that's not how he was acting then, I mean, you could have an aside here and there, and I I guess that's kind of what it was, because it was just him and Extant talking, but it's like, that clearly outwardly was not the motivation for what Hal was doing what he was doing in zero or any of that time. Yeah. So, but but I'll, I'll I'll stop I'll stop my rant there. Um I'm just trying to think was there The art was good in this issue.
1: Yes, yes, very solid, very solid stuff. Um who's the artist name again? Uh hold on.
2: Was it Pensica for this one?
1: Pensica, yeah.
2: Ah, hold Don't on. Don't worry about second. it. Sorry about that. Hold on. And that's Jeff Johns calling right now, people. Or well, maybe it's Robert Venditti calling to yell at us. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the art was the art was really good in this issue. I was pretty happy with it. I can't really complain. I think uh, actually the art in both of these issues actually are really good. As we get into <clears throat> as we get into Green Lantern fi- Green Lantern's 15, excuse me. I think the art's even better in that one shot. I don't know. I call it a one shot. It's more like a filler issue. It's not really a one uh truly. But I think the uh, the art I think is actually going to be better when Corwin goes through that issue. It's actually a, I think the art is actually better in that. But it still was pretty good in 14. And I think, this, and, this, and from a, as a character piece, I think this, I think the one of the biggest problems I think with fourteen, actually being honest, I think the biggest problem is the two most in, two, the two most interesting characters in the storyline are Volthoom and Raimi. and the relationship between the two is actually the relationship between the two is the most interesting part. I think Volthoom is the most interesting character, period, and this he's gotten the most character development, but the the relationship between the two of them is very interesting, and it's kind of a problem when you have those two characters, then probably Frank, and then you get to Simon and Jessica being the rounding out the, the top five characters as far as you know interest, or being or the most interesting characters and in having the most development. That you have a, like a five to six issues, counting the prologue, to this. Leading into the storyline, and the two main characters of this book are not the most interesting characters, and I kind of think that's a problem. You know, I kind of think that's a, that's an issue that that can't continue. I don't think with this book. I think Jessica's obviously the the character they want to develop, and I think Jessica's the character they should develop. She's she would be better. I would rather read Jessica solo than read than read Simon. But I think they really need to put everything together again. And focus at least make do. Have, if there's any way to make these two characters interesting, they better start doing it because they can't consistently be overshadowed by who's ever guest starring in their book or whoever the villains happen to be. I kind of think you know. I kind of think there's a problem there. But hopefully it's going to be something they're going to work on. I think. I think this. I think at least this was an interesting arc. The Phantom Lantern was an interesting concept. It's an interesting ring. It'll uh, be be, be, probably be a while before we get we understand more about it, especially since you kind of don't know entirely if old Thume knows everything about the Phantom Ring. He certainly, I doubt, knows as much as Ramy, and since he's he's masquerading as Raimi, kind of, which is going to be, which will be interesting to see how long that goes on too, because it's kind of like continuing like the Star Wars analogy. He's kind of like, it's kind of like a pa- Palpatine hiding in Yoda's body training Luke, and that's kind of that's kind of what we're going to be getting with. Certainly, Jessica, uh, Jessica being trained by by Volthoom slash Ramy. So, I'd be curious to see if, you know how he kind of pushes her towards the dark side. Kind of see how see if Jessica picks up on things that don't quite seem right. That don't seem right to her in training. So, there's a lot of interesting things, but I just hope I just hope from a character development point of view that they really start focusing in on the actual main characters of this book. And not just have villain villain after villain, guest star after guest star, be you know dom- dominating the book.
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's cool that they've given Jessica and you know Rami and and Volthoom a lot of development. And next issue, which I'll jump into in a second, is when we kind of get to see some more Jessica. So uh, let's jump into that, and I'll finish my thoughts on that because you know I think Boz deserves to get some stuff, some development soon. But uh, Green Lanterns number fifteen. Uh, Day in the Life, written by Sam Humphries, Thumbnails by Tom Denerick. Pencils by Miguel Mendonca. Inks by Scott Hanna. Colors by Blonde. Letters by David Dave Sharp. Cover by Tyler Kirkman and Tamil Mori. Uh, variant cover by Emmanuel Luppicino and Michael Atia. Uh, how do you pronounce that? I, th-
2: I think it's Atia. Isn't it A T. Because it's an H. Isn't it? Yeah, I think it's an H.
1: Tia, uh, Assistant Editor Andrew Marino, Editor Mike Cotton, Group Editor Eddie Berganza. So the issue opens with Jessica in bed, and it, it's she says, you know, not every morning, but most mornings I fight my greatest battle. And with her anxiety, she has a really hard time just getting out of bed. That's like the toughest thing for her. Um, and as she's trying to get herself together, um, she sees she gets texts from her sister, and then Simon calls her through a ring. That, um you know, he needs he needs her. Where are you? And then we pull back and we see them actually in the diner about to have pancakes. And just she's just kind of talking to herself through the whole thing, giving us the lowdown on who they are and um, talking about Simon's corny jokes that he does tr- to try to make her feel better. And then she has one of her own. She says, so red is rage lanterns, yellow, sinestral core and green is willpower, right? What color is an anxiety lantern? Red plaid because it's loud and ugly and makes everything look bad <laughs> and she says i didn't say it was a good joke but i mean that's some of the humor that i like that Humphrey injects into this series at least but before they can get their pancakes they get a justice league emergency call and there's some big huge monster attacking louisiana so they have to go down there and help out um I mean, there's no aquaman here either which is kind of strange but this monster says, you know, he's looking for his brother, which I don't know if that's any reference to anything that you remember but
2: No, sadly it's not.
1: Uh I'm behind on Justice League, but yeah. So they end up trying to take this monster down and it drops this huge submarine which Jessica is able to uh make her confetti constructs to catch. I just realized that all her constructs are pretty much the same, right? They're all these swirlies.
2: Yeah, she's 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 seemingly mastering being able to to use the to use energy, but she ha- but you was creating shapes, designs. I, I hesitate to say hard hard light constructs, but she just other than ba- she, other than basic shapes, she's she seems to have a lot of issue manifesting particular items or things of that nature of recreating yeah. things. That's just it's probably she just hasn't gotten to that point yet.
1: So she's able to actually catch it and talk herself into you know not giving into fear she can do this and then superman and wonder woman kind of show up and you know they give her praise they're impressed with her for being able to catch this thing in midair so that kind of makes her feel good and then flash shows up and she takes notice of flash wondering uh if he has a crush on her so obviously she has a thing for him <laughs> they get another call um from simon's D- dc connect uh, they go to Nebraska to stop a dam from overspilling. They go to Colorado and stop a uh, landslide. They go to Georgia and save a town that's flooding. And then they head to Portsmouth, Washington, where there's this dude called the Gambler. Of- <laughs> so pure
2: you got no a no way to hold him. No way to hold him. But he doesn't look like Kenny Rogers enough, man.
1: But he's rocking a monocle too on top of that. He's That's got the true. big belt buckle and the big, he even has one on his hat, but yeah. So he's, <laughs> yes. he's shooting his little pea shooter and for some reason Jessica just has an anxiety attack. She just completely freezes, which kind of ticks Simon off. So Simon's able to, um, you know, help her after she gets knocked down by this guy and he's just pissed off saying, you know, what, what's wrong with you? Is it again with the anxiety, which really sets her off. And she really just chews him out and she explains to him that, you know, catching a submarine today is nothing, but, you know, getting out of the bed sometimes feels more impossible. And she just kind of takes off, leaving Simon standing there feeling kind of bad and stupid. But uh, with his back turned to the gambler who's about to shank him, um, his boxing glove comes out of nowhere. This boxing (laughs) glove construct just knocks the gambler down.
0: You got (laughs) to (laughs) oh!
1: Yeah. Another hint of comedy at this book. All right, so back in Portland, Oregon, when she's at home, they show her how she's trying to decompress, trying to, you know, get a hold of it. They show her listening to music in her bed. Then they show her exercising. She's actually fighting a bear construct, but she's wearing, like, fighting gear, uh, uh, headgear, gloves, and just, like, straight-up boxing gear almost, which is... Kind of strange for her to be fighting a construct like that. You'd think she'd make her own constructs or something. But
2: and and kind of kind of how she she's releasing stress and trying to decompress, and how does she do it by beating the hell out of a bear? <laughs> and two panels later, she's petting the cat. So I was like, well, <laughs> she's got she does have issues clearly. But I I, I still think it would have it been funny if the bear had a the same out the same workout gear as she did on including the helmet, <laughs> the helmet and gloves
0: clubs. come on bring it bring it come on <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we also get a little routine we see her doing dishes with her sister and of course her and, and uh crouton i guess is the name of her cat that she pets but you know she does all this all in preparation for the next day and that morning it just seems like she just gives in to the anxiety she can't get up um simon's at the diner trying to call her and we get this next scene of this this big vertical swirl of her trying to or stream of consciousness all the things that's going through her head and her saying that you know one day she's gonna screw it up she's gonna drop the submarine the bad guys will win and eventually she's just at a point where she just keeps repeating she can't handle it she can't handle it she can't handle it and then for some reason she finds the willpower to actually get up and get out of bed um, she tries to defy her fear you know she proclaims that she is a Green Lantern. And she goes downstairs to find Simon in her kitchen, which freaks her out. Um, as she goes in the kitchen, she realizes Simon made her pancakes. And, you know, she's trying to cheer her up. And from that, she wants to cry. And then she's kind of embarrassed that he's seeing her in her jammies. But the, the two of them kind of have some good conversation. You see them eating their breakfast. And, you know, Simon kind of apologizes for, you know, not understanding and, you know, saying he's basically going to be here to help her through everything. She kind of thanks him. And then, of course, they get a another call from the Justice League, communication frequency, and it's Batman saying that he needs them to come to Gotham to give him a hand. Uh, he says he'll leave the light on for him, and then we see the bat signal over Gotham. Next issue, Batman Green Lanterns, team up you've been waiting for, Darkest Nights. K-N-I-G-H-T-S.
2: <laughs> Batman, get over here. We've got pancakes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He he doesn't even like acknowledge it. He's just like, listen to me, both of you.
2: (laughs) Well, see, this is where even though we know it kind of in a way it kind of takes a very debatable turn with this kind of point I'm about to make in the next at the end of the two issues from now. But see, this is one of the benefits of, of him having dealt with Guy and dealing with Hal, because of the fact that he he's dealt with so much stuff from Green Lantern that Jessica's little funny hijinks just see doesn't mean that doesn't mean deserve like a like a little teeny like wrinkle in his brow. It's like it's like, it's like uh, the but the art in this issue, as I kind of mentioned uh, before you delved into it, the art in this issue is really good.
1: Yeah, yeah, good expressions.
2: That big splash page of Jessica dealing with her, you know, her anxiety—that's just great. Uh, yeah,
1: it makes you feel the disorientation of it all.
2: Yes, <clears throat> I, I touch. think Simon. The thing I do—I mean, even though I think Jessica, sexist though it may be—I think Jessica. The fact that Jessica looks better means more to me than Simon looking better. <laughs> but I do, I do like the fact that at least. This book does kind of do a better job I think at differentiating him from looking like John Stewart.
1: <laughs> true, very true. It does true. kind
2: of make him look a little more Middle Eastern than you know than black. So I think that they that achieves something that would, oftentimes when they draw Simon it kind of gets all blended into one. I think. Or can yeah. Be. So I think that that's pretty cool. I thought that was a, I thought that was a nice touch.
1: Yeah, maybe that's a reason why they also gave him a mask too to help really set him apart.
2: That's true. And his, little, and, his, and, and his tattoo and, and his gun, which, of course, we know it. there'll be there'll be some gun development coming up soon, too.
1: <laughs> you know, they've never quite explained where he got the tattoo from, because even he doesn't know where it came from, so.
2: Really? They said that? Yeah. I don't yeah. remember
1: that. <clears throat> yeah, he just woke up with it one morning. Interesting. So, you know, when we were talking about last issue, so I was saying this issue is kind of, we get to see a little bit of Jessica, because, of course, she is the newest lantern she's the first earth female lantern that we have so i could understand them making her the reader's point of view for now just so they can ease them into this world but they've got to give boz a, a good you know issue or two to really see where he's coming from or what he does when he's not a lantern or he's not with his family give him some development because like you said they've they don't even seem like the center of this book even though it's supposed to be about the two of them
2: no and in a way this is this is the only issue in a while that kind of has been about them I mean you go you go, certainly the entire Phantom Lantern arc was not about them <laughs> uh, so that's five issues plus the prologue and really the next two issues are I guess you could try to make a case it's about them there's a little bit of it but most people are reading that because it's Batman <laughs> <laughs> it, it's Batman teaming up with them so that that that's that's kind of the big draw there so yeah I do think I think we're I think we are getting to the point where they really need to focus on these two characters first and foremost, and kind of give them their own. Make people want to read the book because it's. If if there is a reason to do so, they need to. They need to start giving us the reason why we should be reading this book because it's Simon and Jessica in the book, not because it's. Oh, this this is another this is another Green Lantern villain that people know, so they might be interested in. This is a new concept or borderline new concept. We'll throw it into this book whether it's the Phantom Ring or Emerald Sight or anything else to try to get people in or let's have this land let, this hero guest star, that hero So I think they do need this book needs to basically stand on its own a little bit more. I know Humphreys on this level has kinda got he's kinda gotten the shittier end of the stick because of the fact that he doesn't have that much of the Green Lantern universe to play with mm-hmm. compared to, you know, what Robert has. You know, Robert's got everything to play with and which again makes you wonder the success, the fact that Hal Jordan the core is better than the Green Lantern New 52 book that he had before they did away with it, but is that how much better is it? And is it simply better because a? And I'm, I don't even mean this to be funny. Like, could it could it really be worse having all the characters that he has to use? Could it actually be worse than the book that he had? I mean, could it be? Or is it just we? It's somewhat better just because all the kind of going along with this concept is it's just. Better, but perceived to be partially better, just because he he does have all these different lanterns to use that he never had. He pretty much almost has the entire Green Lantern mythos to use right now in his book. So is that just making it more interesting because we're getting at least to see characters that we like as opposed to like you know twenty five issues of Uprising? (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, but but Humphrey's his his hands are tied to a certain extent, but he also had the benefit, but is. Like a bit more freedom, because yes, of it. like we before we recorded, we talked, we kind of talked about Volthoom a little. Volthoom was a perfect villain to give him, because Jeff Johns did absolutely nothing to flesh out Volthoom, yeah. other than having him show up looking bat, bat shit crazy, holding that lantern in in the first. In, in, which was arguably, until the Green Lantern 20, the best, the only really, really good issue of Ra- Wrath of the First Lantern.
1: That's right, yeah. well,
2: well, when he blew up Korrigor, that was good, too. That, that, towards so the last few issues of the Wrath of the First Lantern were pretty good. But out, other than the first appearance of Volthum, it kind of was the same thing over and over again in everybody's issue. Let's Volthoom play, in your, play games in your head, and oh, he just doesn't have enough power to make it real. <laughs> but... There wasn't much development of of them, so in a way he was a perfect character to be able for Humphreys to take hold of and flesh out and add to. Just like in a way having two Green Lanterns that don't have a lot of background, it would make sense if you have a writer who had, doesn't have any real – or didn't have any real background with Green Lanterns. It kind of makes sense. You know the basics. Obviously, Jeff Johns certainly helped him at least a little bit as far as the initial plotting and direction of where this book was going. So, you know what? I mean I would have to – this book, is be- this book is better than I thought it would be. This book is better than I think on some levels it has any right to be. <laughs> yeah. And I think he deserves a, he, he deserves more credit, I think, at this point than Robert Venditti does because, again, Robert Venditti has everything in the world to play with, and there's still a lot of issues with that book. And, and Humphreys doesn't have all that much to play with, and he doesn't have experience of writing these characters or some of these characters for several years now. And yet he's making them, at least Jessica first and foremost. But still, they're making it, they're making it an interesting read. So I think, so tough spot or not, I think he's, he's doing, he's doing pretty well. And I I just think they do need to start focusing in on Simon and Jessica a little bit more and making them stand on their own.
1: Now, this whole rebirth stuff, you just kind of reminded me that Simon and Jessica are actually in the Justice League, so they're actually even in that book too, and I think I got like the first two or three, and I just kind of stopped buying it. But have you been keeping up with Justice League and what they're doing with them in there?
2: No, I haven't. I honestly – I didn't touch the Justice I knew that was part of the th- reason I think for Green Lantern fans. They wanted to get you to buy into to buy that book because they were both in it. I, Other than the Green Lanterns uh, rebirth stuff, the only books that I get regularly are Superman and Action Comics.
1: Yeah, I've been loving. Well, I'm behind on Superman, but I they're both, you know,
2: they're both really Tomasi good. At least so I mean, they're both really good. at per capita, honestly, they are better than the Green Lantern books. So, <laughs> they are.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely with Superman, I haven't been keeping up with action, but I've been loving that Superman, and you know, that's the team from Green Lantern Corps, so they get much love from me. That's cool. Uh, all right, so so this issue. I mean, do you have any other thoughts on it? It's
2: you're right. It was a pretty. good. It was a good, it was a good Jessica character piece. I did. I did like that. I I kind of, and I know we're supposed to think this because of the whole good cop bad cop thing with Simon to start with, but Jessica does is she is the more intriguing character. I think she's the more int- the more interesting character. So while you're right, I do think if they're going to keep Simon in this book, they are going to have to. Kind of like balance it out and give make give an interesting story about him, and not giving him some new magical Green Lantern power that no one's ever seen before. That's not the way <laughs> to do it, people. <laughs> 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 well, maybe uh, they can blame it on Hal. Well, then again,
1: it wasn't Hal's ring.
2: It was the it was there was a com it was the combo. combo it was him and Sinestro I mean, both. They, the ring was kind of responding to both of them. Which is see, that's the aspect they should play up with Simon. That's the aspect they should play up because even though – so in a way you could try to justify him kind of being a jerk. <laughs> Is that Sinestro part of it? <laughs> but, but they really haven't done enough of the fact that the reason the ring picked him was because he was a good enough amalgam of what Hal wanted in a ring pair and, and what Sinestro wanted in a ring pair. That there was True. enough of that middle ground that that's picked Simon, which was – which is – that's the most interesting thing about Simon because obviously he's got characteristics of both Hal and Sinestro in him or else the ring would not have just – unless the ring was just being driven so damn crazy. He's like, OK, we're taking this guy. <laughs>
1: well, I mean even look at it this way too. At one point in time, it even went to Frank, and yes. we know Frank is one complete end of the spectrum. I wonder if they're going to show us another end of the spectrum where the ring could have went as well, somebody else that could have been more of the Hal side than Sinestro.
2: Yeah, that's true. That would be That good. would be, you
1: know, another interesting thing to show and maybe Simon has to deal with that as well, but hey, just throwing out ideas.
2: But at least it'd be good to get some but ba- it's all good concepts or ideas to throw out to try to get Simon his story, you know. <laughs> yes. Let's get some and and let's get and let's give Simon a story where we're not playing up the fa- not playing up I'm not saying you ignore it, but every single time you want to tell a story about Simon, you don't necessarily have to go back to the whole oh they're treating his his mother or his, or his sister poorly or <laughs> right you know or like, like even in a couple of, in, the, in the in the dark in the uh darkest nights or blackest darkest nights arc about how you know what his worst fear is, and you know almost like doing like concentration or internment camps for most it's like I mean, I don't know. I just think that's it's 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 walking it's it's walking a fine line or a slippery slope, and how that's going to play in general. But it's like that's not the only thing about who he is, you know. It's I'm not saying it's not part of who he is, but but I don't know. That's just me. But I, I but I do think making him a little more well-rounded in, is in general, no matter how you approach it, is is kind of needed.
1: We need to see him working on some cars.
2: <laughs> yeah, just not stealing them this time. <laughs> 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 Too fast, up. too furious.
1: I just realized his lantern symbol is different than Jessica's too. Yeah, his has like these two straight parallel lines with a circle between it, while hers kind of arcs like the battery, the classic symbol.
2: Well, yeah, hers is so hers is kind of more like you know like John's the John Stewart animated one. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, I'm looking. Well, I think it changes on have you look at the chest, if you look at the chest designs on the. Uh, Right in the middle of the book, when uh, that panel, when he he knocks uh, he knocks nice Kenny punch. Rogers out with the glove. <laughs> if you look at the chest emblems on both, yeah, they do you do you do see that you do see the differences, but they do kind of but the way they connect to the circle are very similar. You're They're right. just not straight. It's straight, but it is but it is both still kind of unique. Yeah, Simon's really looks lame. <laughs> 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 probably not. On, probably not by accident.
1: <laughs> he just keeps getting the short end of the stick, huh?
2: Yes, it is. That's that's that, that's his lot in life. Him and, him and C3PO.
1: Oh, uh, you know what? It's it's the artist because the last issue that you covered his is just like hers. So yeah, it's an artist thing.
2: That's a good pickup. Yeah, it's just that's not surprising. We always see little teeny variations in the theme there.
1: Yeah. And you know, speaking of last issue, uh, what's his name? Vath. They didn't really show Vath with the lizard legs. Yes. A little minor nitpick, but...
2: Pe- people, there's, there's stuff like that all the time. Again, going back to the Arkillo thing. You know, Archillo's not supposed to have one hand. You know that.
1: <laughs> I guess we can assume that after the Sinestro series, St. Walker healed him.
2: But see, that's my... Okay, you opened the door for this, so I gotta walk through it. <laughs> That's my, that's part of the stuff that really annoys the crap out of me about the way all that stuff's being handled and how in the core. Cause it takes two friggin' throwaway lines, which, which in, at the same time acknowledge that St. Walker and Arkilo were partners. That's Nurse. all you needed to do from whether, whether it was Arkilo or St. Walker or anything. That's all you had to do was to acknowledge that. Because logically – like, look at, Look at where Archilo is as we speak. St. Walker could could cure him in three seconds. Do we think that's what's going to happen? Probably not. He's going to be like he's going to be like a, an intensive care for like forever unless Sorenik <laughs> saves him. So it's like, come on! Don't take, don't
1: don't spoil what hasn't happened yet for the listeners because they haven't read it yet. But yes, I, I agree.
2: Trust me, by the time these episodes come out, I'm sure they would have. <laughs> if they had any interest, I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, yeah, you were heated with that issue.
2: Oh, yeah, I'm trying. I'm really trying to keep it in, so it- so so it's not a uh- so it doesn't get dissipated like my parallax rant kind of was. Uh, is, is,
1: is is that coming before or after the State of the Union?
2: I don't know. We have to organize the State of the have to organize the State of the Union. Uh, I'm yeah. if I had to guess at this point, I'm trying to figure out how many issues we're behind. I think we're like three, probably like probably three episodes worth of every, going with the concept of two issues per episode. I think we've got to be at least three episodes or close behind on Hal and the Core now, so I I would probably suspect the Union thing might might come first. But it's it's hard. I mean I, w- I was tempted just to record a rant on the Arkillo thing because it's like I because it's just ew, because of the guy aspect of it. It's like what is what, what is guy gonna every, every time somebody. Guy's going to need to, every time he gets into a fight, he's going to need to pump himself up that he thinks that he's fighting his dad, and that's what's going to make him. It's like, I, I don't know about. And then you have Arkillo. It's like, Arkillo never, I mean, he always gets his, you know, just when they were building up Arkillo again, it's like you tear him down. And St. Walker could have friggin', if all they had to do was have, all they had to do was have Hal, Hal and company go after where Guy was <laughs> before going back to MoGo, or going, or going, being sent to go deal with that. And our, and St. Walker could have stopped the fight in three seconds and probably convinced Arkillo to join them. <laughs> there'd have been no True. need. There'd have been no need for a fight. So, let's, ha- so let's have t- those two Lancers literally almost kill each other for no friggin' reason whatsoever. Oh God! So <laughs> it's time for a change in that you, book, you, man. It's you, you time probably, for a you,
1: change. You probably should record that rant before you know the fire dies down on it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I, I still might, but it's. Yeah, what has that been like a week now? It's it, it still hasn't yeah. gotten out of my system yet. So, but I haven't, like I said, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't picked up uh, that book since. So I've been trying purposely not to. So when I go back and have to reread it, all the, all the, all, let the hate flow through you, <laughs> <laughs> that, that kind of thing. I just want to, I just want to tap back into it again because it's like. <laughs> Like, but I do. But I will stick to my what I posted on on the website. That up, other than Green Lantern 50 with that convergence parallax, disgusting debacle. That this I think this may very well be my least favorite issue in the post Jeff Johns era. It's like, uh, what did what purpose did it ultimately serve really? Uh, but but yes, that's that's for another day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fun issues though overall.
1: Oh, most definitely. Most definitely.
2: So let's, let's talk Logan.
1: Ah, oh, so, yes. Ah, uh, Man, I wish we would have kept that conversation from last time. Um,
2: <laughs> See, you ruined we it now, man. You it. ruined it. Okay. <laughs> 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 we'll now, cut now, that out. Nah, nah, we'll, nah, nah. You, you just gave us the opening. Now we'll, now, we'll, now we'll just come clean. About 24 hours ago... <laughs> Based on circumstances clearly beyond both of our controls, because normally we both record and or we both are recording, and we th- know that and we know this or assume this. I think we both did assume We just were both wrong And last night we recorded an episode for the ages That we, we were that we are currently trying to recreate But when we, when we got to like the last five minutes Is when I actually realized that Friggin' I wasn't recording And I couldn't really ask Corwin if he was recording Until we ended because Or else we'd have to edit it out So we got to the end and he wasn't recording either So thus we're back re-recording again Trying to recapture as much of the magic as we can
1: And we did good man We did good until this point in time because now it's like the movie talking. Whoa. I
2: yeah, I think we actually, did, I, in all honesty, I think we did a pretty damn good job of picking up on the major beats that we, we touched upon last time. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it'll be, uh, between you and I, we'll know, I, I don't know if we'll think that it's as good as it was when it was spontaneous, but, but we tried to keep the funny stuff and we tried to at least revisit the, I think, the topics we both liked uh, oh yeah we yeah, nailed we it up,
1: we, so. we nailed out that part most definitely we nailed that part but there was there was such a great segue that we went from the books into the movies and then back into the lantern movies and stuff but um i guess we could just talk about logan which well w- your question was last time pretty much where do i rank it with the rest of the x-men movies correct all right i'm definitely biased towards deadpool um i wouldn't Heavily considered Deadpool an X-Men movie, but I would definitely prefer Deadpool over Logan. That being said, Logan probably is my top X-Men movie overall. Uh, With the X-Men movies, I realized I don't have much rewatchability with it. I'm not too stoked to watch them again or even throw them in as background noise like I can do with all the... Marvel Universe movies, but I will say Logan is something that I can definitely watch over and over and even throw it on in background noise while I clean the house or do something else. Um, it, it's definitely miles, uh, miles high above better X Men apocalypse. I mean, you know, we all agree X3 never existed. You I mean between X2, you know, the first X Men movie, and even First Class, which I enjoyed, I still think this is just kind of what I've been waiting for for an X-Men movie.
2: Well, see, even a even even X3 or Apocalypse would be good for a background depending on what you wanted to do like 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 if you really felt like you needed to throw up to feel better, <laughs> then, then putting X3 on would probably be okay as long as you but had a, bu- the, a bucket next to the bed. Those are the things you put on in the background
1: and then you mute it. So it's just visual, not really even audio uh, audio.
2: Well, see with me um, being 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 I, I ironically being serious for a moment, or trying to it's like oftentimes i'll put something on netflix or amazon prime when i go to sleep and usually the stuff that i i i I'll, i put stuff on that i like but stuff that i've watched like a thousand times so i really don't need to have any i don't have it there's no need for me to actually have to watch what's on the screen All right i can just close attention. my eyes yes i don't need to pay attention to it i can just i can just fall i can just fall asleep to it so, but still, I don't usually put something on that I really dislike. So I wouldn't. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't put something like X3 on just to fall asleep to. Though it right. might make me fall asleep. That wouldn't be. The, that wouldn't be the point. <laughs> I do think. I think X3 and you know, I haven't seen Apocalypse since it came out, and I. You know, I'll eventually I'll watch it again. But X3 and Apocalypse are kind of the bottom of the barrel. I think. When I was sick last weekend, I watched. X-Men, I watched X2. I would have watched Days of Future Past, but I had seen it not not that long ago. And I mentioned the rogue cut to you that which is worth watching the the rogue cut of <coughs> the Days of Future Past rogue cut is interesting because there's extra stuff in the movie besides the stuff dealing with Rogue, but there's a whole different which is why it was cut out. Is the fact that it kind of shifts and almost like heading towards the third act, it kind of shifts shifts the characters or creates a whole different story arc that probably wasn't really necessary, and I think that's why they cut it out. But if you watch the movie, it kind of works, because Kitty's hurt too... Kitty gets hurt by Wolverine flashing us, uh, when he's slashing her by mistake, when he's kind of flailing, when he's being in the past, when his mind's in the past, and she's too hurt to be able to continue for long. She's losing too much blood. And they kind of... They are able to detect, even though a lot of people thought Rogue was dead, that she's actually being held at the mansion, where they're doing research on her trying to be able to duplicate her ability to you know siphon off other mutants' abilities. So uh, Bobby, I think, Magneto, and Xavier, I think, is in the plane. But those three go to get bring Rogue back. Rogue ends up taking uh, Kitty's powers to be able to continue the transfer, and Logan's even detects the difference between the two in the past, and he knows that Rogue is doing it now. Uh, so I do like Days of Future Past. I think Days of Future Past and X2 are, are still pretty high in the list. I rewatched the Wolverine. I watched the the, the uncut version.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, with with the commentary which uh, which I had watched before, but I do, I I would need to see Logan again, but I kind of like the Wolverine better even though I know as you, you know as you do, as you told me too and I agree that it kind of goes off the rails in the third the third like, act. The third yeah. Act. I don't know if it goes off the rails as badly in the and un, the uncut version but i do agree but there are some really good things in there and there's some really good aspects of logan that they deal with in that movie and i like a lot of the supporting cast in that movie and and you talk about the rewatchability uh, i i that's the thing that holds me back with logan it's so damn depressing so much of it <laughs> is that I, honestly I'd, i would think i would have a hard time sitting down if i bought buying the movie if if it's on netflix or amazon prime or something i might watch it but sitting buying it and watching it do i think you know, sometimes that's that's like even movies that I don't think are depressing necessarily. Though I guess you can make a case Watchmen is pretty depressing. That I never bought Watchmen just because I didn't think I really would. I couldn't really imagine myself sitting down and watching it very often. And with mm-hmm. Logan, it's kind of like the same thing. I don't see myself watching that because it's not to me. It's it's not the Wolverine. It's not the Logan story I wanted to see. Yes, with the yes, having kind of like the uh, you know the unexpurgated violence, which you know, was always missing in in X-Men movies related to Wolverine. That is cool to a certain extent. Yes, it's probably the closest thing we've ever gotten to Wolverine actually being – truly letting go in Berserker's Rage, though. We've been teased about that all the time, that every next movie was going to be the one that we see the (laughs) Wolverine we wanted. And we actually did see a little bit of that in uh, Apocalypse. You know, the Weapon X part of Wolverine was kind of – very oh,
1: but just even X X twenty three man, she was just she
2: stole that movie. Oh yeah, she, she did. Was, and she the was, acting and the acting and the acting was was great. I, I just think I just think from a watchability point of view, I don't think that I'd be watch. I would watch that movie all that much, so that makes me hold back a little on it. And yeah, and, and the and it's yeah the end. There's a there's some hope in the ending, for, but it's still kind of dep- it's kind of depressing. Some of the things that happen are understandable. And it related to Logan and the Professor and X twenty four besides X twenty three and all it, it, there's there's stuff in it that it's it's interesting and and I do like and and I still won't let this go. There's no point since we're recording again, again. anyway. I still wanted to see him in his damn costume. I knew we weren't <laughs> going to. I mean, Mangold made it clear we weren't going to. So I think he was smart to kind of like torpedo that hope that people were still had that you might see it. But it still bothers me because there were opportunities in this movie because of how the kids, how the comic books existed in this world, and how the kids read the comic books, and how they even how they even cut Wolverine's facial hair to get him to look like you know the Wolverine that they in their mind mind's eye know. That there would have been so many different ways, or several different ways at least, to at least show him for a second or two in his costume because that's how they see him. That that and people I think would have been happy with that just to finally get that moment in seeing it. So I but. I like it. It was a good movie. Like everything else, lots, lots of people jump, jump on things being the, the greatest thing of all time this week until next week comes out. Yeah. Yeah. So it was good. It it's, in my opinion, it's certainly not the greatest comic book movie ever made. It's not, you know, it's, it's good. It's since a lot of the X-Men movies have not been particularly great. They've been watchable. Exactly. They've been entertaining. They haven't been particularly great. It's probably, like we said, it's probably only two or three before this that were really, really good. Uh, it's yeah. It, it's a unique movie. It's the western approach. It's it's different and it's good on that level. But again, I don't know if it. Might, I don't know if I would put it number one. And, I, and that's even I leave. And I lived Deadpool out of the mix because it's different. But to me, again, I wasn't Deadpool wasn't my thing anyway. So I don't think I would have. Dead even if Deadpool was in included in my rankings, I I don't think that would still be competing with uh, Days of Future Past or X2 or. This movie or the, or the Wolverine, I, I think it, Deadpool would kind of be in the middle for me, uh, but it's still way, it's still way above Apocalypse <laughs> <at> Origins <laughs> and uh, and Last Stand. Ugh.
1: Yeah, Origins was like three movies squished into one that they tried to do. It was just it just didn't work.
2: Right. And there were some and there were some parts that were good.
1: Yeah. Ugh, bad taste. Definitely <laughs> bad taste in my mouth with that. Uh, but no, I'm I'm glad after 17 years. I mean, Hugh Jackman went out on top. He definitely went out, giving the best performance for for Logan.
2: Yeah, it was yeah. From a character piece point of view, it was. I think it was his. But that, but I, I also think it was. I thought the I thought the Wolverine was good from a character piece too. I thought they, yeah they played up the Jean Grey stuff probably a little bit more than they needed to. And you know the whole Jean Grey. It's kind of yeah. I think they. I understand they had to address some of it since this was picking up after X3 and that still wasn't the same timeline, it hadn't been wiped away yet but it was I don't know, it just it, it had to be dealt with but sometimes it just seemed like too much of an albatross around his neck that he was dealing with
1: I mean, with Wolverine that whole draining his healing factor thing that just and even the Silver Samurai I could I could, I could accept but yeah they, they, it was too much there. The third act, they just kind of, they tried to do something different. I give it to them, but yeah, they just lost me there.
2: And you know, after a while in all these movies, it does kind of get it gets a little old with Wolverine getting his ass kicked all the time. That's because he <laughs> does. I mean, there's some people you can you can chalk it up to. I mean, you could chalk. I mean, Juggernaut, and you know, he's a comic book character. Yeah, that would make that would make sense as long as he's got his adamantium in him. Then of course. Magneto being able to kick his ass is pretty much a given. There's not much you can do about that, but <laughs> but as we know, we've seen Fastbender kick his ass even without <laughs> <him and> adamantium <laughs> in him, and we saw Mystique kick his ass, and Lady Deathstrike, and you know, it just it just kind of has you know, it's just kind of has gotten old through the, the series that Wolverine is supposed to be such a... in the comic books he's such a badass, but in t- on on the screen he's just never been you know he's just never been that impressive compared to and, which is not Hugh Jackman's fault, it's the way it's written. But yeah. but, you know, it is what it is. But But I do like it. I I I think of the three movies I've seen recently, Logan, Get Out, and Kong, I think actually I think I probably would put Logan's I put with Logan after get out. It's I think it's better I like it better than Kong but there's things in Kong that I like.
1: <laughs> see, I've got, I've got to see those other two movies still. I, I still haven't even seen John Wick 2, but I know my son wants to see Kong, so I'll probably take take him and the other little one this weekend for it.
2: Kong is a pretty good character. I mean, Kong is a pretty good character piece in the sense that they do a good job at obviously doing, and I watched, and for you, partially for you, I actually watched the 2014 Godzilla last night. Though uh, uh, <laughs> so I, I would be lying if I didn't say I didn't forward some of it. <laughs> Because, see, the problem in that movie is the Godzilla movies. I think uh, uh, Ken Watanabe's character is really interesting,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and he is the most interesting character. If they didn't kill off Brian Cranston so quickly, so he would have been just yeah. as interesting. But <laughs> the human characters, other than those two, were just completely irrelevant. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: not that the characters were that—I gr- mean—were like mind-bogglingly impressive in Kong, but there certainly were several that were, stood out. That had arcs and that you kind of were interested in. So I, I thought the ca- for what it's worth, and we know we don't, we really don't go to see movies like this for the character, for the human character development. Characters. It's acknowledging <laughs> right. that fact, but still, they did a good job connecting the tissue with, that there. Were, they did a good job b- with making Kong to be the protector of the island. So the so in, this, in the truest sense of the word, so the natives really aren't living in fear of him at all, really, because he usually just goes off and does his own thing and leaves everybody alone. But when these things come up from the ground, these creatures that that you know he deals with them, and, he, and that's what his job is. And that's you know that's I don't think they I. I don't remember if they absolutely made it clear, but I think it certainly directly implied that that these creatures that come up from the ground are pretty much what killed his parents. So that's why Kong is, while well, he's still growing, that he is the la- you know that he seemingly is the last the last of his kind. So that's one of the reasons why he gets so riled up in the beginning. Other than of course they're b- dropping bombs, which would rile anybody up, mm-hmm. but when they're dropping their bombs to do their you know seismic uh, and geographic mapping, that because of the nature of the island and how it's hollow underneath that that's that and you create more openings it allows these creatures to come up more often and and that's one of the reasons why kong did what he did so i like the idea of setting him up as protector obviously godzilla has already been established as protector the connective tissue at the end of the movie seeing the sketches of the different monsters to make it clear that they all they all exist all these other tr- monsters exist in the same shared universe and then it's a question of you know I, I'm interested in Kong versus Godzilla more because I want to see who they're who they're going to end up teaming up to fight because you know that's what's going to have to happen. You know, you know they're going to I hope
1: so because the original I wasn't quite happy with Godzilla losing.
2: Yeah, but see, but, but don't forget, back back in that time frame, Godzilla was still much more the bad guy. True. I mean, Godzilla really didn't start becoming like goofy, friendly Godzilla to, like to, like, to, like the late '60s, early '70s. That's when you kind of became the 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 the, the, the 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 goofy tag team, high five and jet Jaguar Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> the victory dance. Yes, jumping up in the air. Yes, yes. Oh God. Uh, I wish
1: my kids would love those like I do, but. It's, they don't. They're not into it.
2: So it is a more serious take. And I was thinking about this, which is one of the reasons why, would, once we we knew we had to record, I wasn't. I figured I would bring Kong back up. <laughs> was that all these other monsters have like the a unique or special ability, but see Kong mm-hmm. really doesn't. So the question is, how are they going to compensate for that? They could give him one. You know, they could give him something, and obviously not like you know Palpatine like lightning shooting out of his fingers. <laughs> but they could kind of give him like almost like a pseudo like advanced, like a pseudo advanced healing factor or something that maybe he healed quicker than he should be healing whether it's because of the radiation in the pacific from all the from the bombs and everything else or whatever but if they didn't want to do that you'd have to play up the two things that you assume that he would have that he, that are natural advantages first of all his physical strength that even if he's not that per capita based on his size and everything else that even if he's not like Godzilla size by the time they square off even if he's a little shorter that per capita, based on his size, he's still pound for pound stronger. Stronger. So and and so maybe he wouldn't be able to be out and out 100 percent stronger than Godzilla, but almost anybody else, he's going to be raw physically superior to. Then you have, of course, from an agility point of view, because he's a primate, he's a <laughs> he's a great ape. He should be more agile than pretty much anybody else. He's gonna, they're going to fight, and of course he mm-hmm. got he's got the intelligence, which absolutely should be his big slam dunk. <laughs> He should be the smartest one in the group at a contest just based on what he based on where he is on the evolutionary ladder compared to what the others are. now now they certainly have played up that Godzilla is smarter than a lot of the others and even the 2014 Godzilla might be. I don't know if you really got much evidence of that in in the movie that we've seen so far. But Kong should be smart. Not just using weapons and being able to, but strategy and things like that. He should be able, that should be one of his great strengths, but it still will be interesting to see who they're going to Cause you figure like most movies, like Batman versus Superman, they'll fight, then they'll end up teaming up because they realize, hey, you know, we're really <laughs> this guy's okay, <laughs> this guy's not. <laughs> Ta- tag me in Kong. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, I, I think I think you'll I think you'll like it. I think they do a good job with. And it's kind of cool. There was one part they, even though this con, I mean, this Kong isn't as like kind of like is. You go back to the, the Peter Jackson Kong was kind of like very bitter, which is understandable. <laughs> I mean, you have to understand the background. I mean, you just you know he's the last he's the last of his kind. His parents are dead. They don't give you you know the, it's a little less clear in that in that movie like what happened to his you know what happened to his parents. But either way, even if they died of old age, it doesn't matter. The fact is he's the last of his kind. He really has no sympathy for anything, and then he just kind of gets this connection with Anne. That you know it's not it's not and I don't see in that movie I never really. It, as opposed to, let's say, the 76 version. It wasn't really like a sexual kind of thing at all. I think it was just, it was like an emotional connection between right. That's like the only, <laughs> the only living creature he ever really related to or felt any kind of compassion for was her. This Kong, you kind of get a little bit of that in the sense that there's that moment with with Mason that I think he just, you just kind of see his eyes, and even though you don't know what he's thinking, you can almost get the sense that, you know, it's almost, to me anyway, my interpretation of it was that he's kind of like reflecting back on the fact that, you know, Basically, he hasn't had anybody to, that's been any kind of any kind of warmth or affection towards him basically since his parents. <laughs> so, and I, so it's 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 kind of it's kind of it's it's kind of interesting. I think this Kong is a little, he's a little more warm, a little more warm and fuzzy on some levels, but he's also you know, but he's, but he has a job to do and he does it. So, but I think it's I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it.
1: Okay. <clears throat> Mainly for the kids, but you know, yeah. I like my card do to action
2: too. That, so. That's true too. The monsters are pretty cool. So you you asked me a question last time. You want <laughs> we, we were we were we were talking actually because I think I pre I prefaced it or led us down that road asking about uh the you
1: know the recasting of- recasting a new Logan.
2: Yes, I think that's how we got – I think that's how we got we, – whether Hugh Jackman was going to come back again. And, you, and, then, and then you asked me the ultimate Green Lantern taboo <laughs> question.
1: <laughs> well, for Logan, I will say I wouldn't be surprised if Jackman does a cameo somewhere, but I doubt that he'd do a whole new Wolverine movie. I think – I pretty much think he's just done.
2: I think he's – yeah. I think for the foreseeable future he's done, I'm not going to rule out that he might get the itch again like in ten years. And want to come back yeah, and do it.
1: Ten years, he'd be pushing what sixty?
2: Yeah, but so what? Especially in the land and the land of and the land of CGI these days. I mean, and plus you don't know when they set when they set the movie. When they set.
1: Well, the I mean, because he's he, dead. But I guess they can go back a couple of years and do a younger thing. But yeah,
2: he could be. He could not be young, young, but he could be younger than where he was when, he, when we last saw him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or certainly younger, younger before you know, his his immune system starts going into the crapper, so he doesn't start aging. Also, is as, is as noticeably. So, but I don't know. I don't. I don't really see. He could be, he could be tempted. But we've seen a lot of people want to revisit some of their starring roles, depending on how things happen in their career, too.
1: That's
2: so, true. So it, it's 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 always possible. You never know. Uh, but. And
1: the question of the hour really came down to
0: – we were talking about, <laughs> yes,
1: recasting also whether we think they're going to put Jessica in the Justice League movie. Yes. But uh, I actually asked you about uh, do, you, do you think Ryan Reynolds should come back, <laughs> 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 which I knew was a loaded question it was, it was, when I asked it, but it was I think it will be good well, you, entertainment.
2: You didn't think it was so loaded when you asked me. <laughs> The answer made it, no, so my, my, you asked me the question and my answer was like one, like one word, no. (laughs) And I, because I, I don't think they should ask, I don't, I don't think he would in a million years anyway, but I don't think they should ask Ryan Reynolds to come back because I think, and I, and I, I think it was the Emerald Dawn episode. I think I mentioned this when we were talking about the casting rumors regarding Ryan Reynolds. I kind of think personally he's kind of pushing the kind of self-deprecating humor related to Green Lantern kind of a little too far. I think he's kind of like got to let it go now. It's like yeah, we know that movie didn't do well. It's not, you know, you're not the reason why it didn't, you know, why it bombed. You're also not the reason why it it, you know, it succeeded <laughs> or it failed. You know, you certainly didn't bring anything to the table to overcome the weaknesses. But, you know, move on. It's like there were, and again, I wish I should have re- researched it to remember which award that they gave him. I was thinking it was some, something for Deadpool, but they gave him some award, and somebody thought they were being funny, and they brought out like a Green Lantern power battery on stage, and, he, and I think he and I'm pretty sure he destroyed it. And you know, he just so I, I think he's kind of crossing that line between kind of being funny and having a good sense of humor about something that didn't work out, to just kind of like shitting on something. And I think that's and as a Green Lantern fan, I don't like that. Yeah. And I also don't like. And it could be true. We don't know. I don't know if it's true. But all of a sudden, I think it was towards the end of last year when this, the story came out, I believe, for the first time, at least Ryan Reynolds' version of what was really wrong with the Green Lantern movie, but that they didn't have a script. Kind of implying that they didn't have a script where they were making the movie as opposed to maybe they were rewriting it. Maybe there was a certain part they wanted to play around with because we do know there were other drafts of that script because they were out there. You could find them online. You can find the, you can like find the original draft when Legion was still the villain. And I believe Alan Scott was the narrator. So there were script, there were versions of that script that were out there. So I find it difficult to believe that you know they literally were making that movie and like two-thirds of the movie weren't written. I, I don't even know if I believe it was like Jurassic Park 3 where they didn't have an ending for the movie when they were filming it, which is why that movie really doesn't have an ending. <laughs> but, I, see, it, it could be true. But, again, it just seems like, I don't know, it's like... A lot of the stuff bubbles to the surface these these days because of the internet, a lot quicker. So they have something mm-hmm. come out like you know five years after the movie comes out. I mean, well, I mean, we we I mean, let's be honest, we heard all the horror stories about Trank's Fantastic Four before the movie even came out. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, and you know, and some people choose to believe that oh, you know, he his movie would have been great if they just let him release the one that he wanted. It's like I don't know. <laughs> so. I, studio, and studios do interfere with movies, and I mean, but I mean interfere. I mean, they do sometimes make movies worse. There's no doubt about that. But every single yeah. time the studio wants something done with a movie or steps in, it's not because, and it doesn't mean that they're making the movie worse. Sometimes they know they got a piece of crap, and they're trying to make it less of a piece of crap. You know, and I think I absolutely believe that's exactly what happened with with, with Trank. That his movie was a was a complete disaster, and they were trying to do the best they could to try to salvage it. I mean, because don't forget, Trank was the guy who wanted to make who wanted to make Doom the blogger. You know, oh, Doctor Doom the blogger—that was Trank's idea. So, I mean, that wasn't the studio's idea. They're the one that said, "No, we want Doctor Doom to be a little bit closer to what Doctor Doom was." And, and and plus, I always say this: you can't you can't have it both ways. You can't blame every single time a studio. Because nine times, nine and a half times out of ten, a studio is going to be have be involved and have some influence in the final output, the final cut of the movie. Whether Correct. it's whether even if it's just saying this movie's got to come in under 245. You have carte blanche, but it's got to be coming under 245. Everybody, every unless you're like Martin Scorsese or maybe Mark, Steven Spielberg at this point, almost everybody has has some kind of constraints, and you know that going in. So the studio is always is going – it's their job. They're always going to have some involvement in the final product. So if every time a movie turns out great, you can't just say, oh, it had nothing to do with the studio. And every time, a stu- every time the studio – a movie doesn't turn out great, it's like, oh, the studio got involved in it and they screwed it up. You know, True. There were reshoots for, for Rogue One. Did most people like Rogue One? Yes. Did Rogue One make a crap ton of money? Yes. So – but yeah. but you don't hear the studio you don't hear the studio getting credit for that right it's it's oh it, it it's like if they the studio some people are yes yeah, times people are tone deaf and they don't know the product they don't know the material they don't care they're out of touch that's true. But not everybody is. Sometimes you see stuff, and you know it's a disaster, and you, and, and, you, and you try to rein it in, or you try to fix it. Even if it's just matching the tone of the trailer with matching the tone of the movie, which supposedly was the thing with Suicide Squad. That the trailer was making the movie out to be something that – advertising it to be a kind of movie that it wasn't, and then it coming on the, the heels of Batman versus Superman. It's like, we got to at least make this movie closer to what people think it's going to be at least.
1: Well, here's the thing. Did, did Rogue One have seven different writers?
2: No. <laughs> but there have been some there have been surprisingly some decent movies that have had a whole crap ton of writers. And there's some movies that have only had one or two writers and it's been horrible. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's true. So I mean that's it, true. It, it's kinda like the trope of believing, oh, if you have more th- more than more than one villain or more than one villain in a in a in a superhero movie, oh that movie's gonna be a disaster. And people always go to Spider Man three. Spider Man three sucked because of the way it was structured and the way it was written. There's other horror. There's other superhero movies that have had multiple villains, and it's been fine. <laughs> Superman Two had what four villains in that movie? <laughs> the Kryptonians yeah. and, and Gene Hack and Lex Luthor. True. Uh, I'm trying to think what uh, the the dark the Dark Knight had a bunch of uh, Batman Begins had a bunch of villains.
1: So oh, so that's not yeah.
2: that's not the kiss. That's not really the kiss, the kiss of death. Having to have multiple villains in a movie is how they're dealt with. You know, the problem was shoehorning Venom into Spider-Man Three, which of course was not Raimi's idea, and that's and that's what. I, but still, that was not. But, but that's just not an automatic kiss of death. And some people and I just think from a, being a I always try to be objective. You can't just assume, oh, because a, a studio's involved somehow, or you hear this, you hear that. That automatically that does not automatically give a safety net to the director if the movie comes out and it stinks. You know, Snyder. I mean, when people made it sound like, oh, Snyder didn't get to release the, the Batman vs Superman that he wanted. It's like he damn well knew he wasn't releasing a three-hour cut of that movie. He, True. you know, you know, going in, if if you're pushing anything more than two and a half hours for a movie like that, you are pushing it. Logan is pushing it. That's a long move. That's a long move because if you start pushing it beyond two and a half hours, when you add in the fifteen minutes or so of trailers, you're you're potentially getting in the way of, of losing a showing. sometime. people don't want that. So you know, you know that there's certain limitations to you when, as a director. So I don't believe for a second that Snyder's that oh this was not his vision because he had to cut a little bit out of the movie. And I saw the director's cut. I didn't think the movie was substantially better. I did. Maybe if you never saw the first version, you would say oh okay this makes a little. I, yeah, I kind of and then saw the and then saw the the released version. Oh yeah, this makes a little more sense now that you know it's. It doesn't change the tone of the movie and what the, and the issues people had with it. Just like I don't believe for a second that you know that this was a studio that made Suicide Squad at least critically an unlikable movie. I mean, look, making the Enchantress the villain was a really friggin' stupid idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's the a number one. And I don't think the studio said, "Yo, let's do the Enchantress." I don't think so. That you know so. I just think there's plenty of blame to go around, and the Ryan Reynolds thing on that level kind of bugs me because it just seems like, you know, kind of like the lady Duff protest too much at this point. It's like let's move on. You you got the you got the superhero movie that you needed to have a have a franchise, seemingly have a have a career doing that, redeeming a lot of your other failures in that genre before. and There were several besides not just Green Lantern. You can move move beyond, and you know, you're, be happy for you know. It's kind of like. When they cast the new Hal Jordan, it's like, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick or be your to be sarcastic. Just wish the person well, and you know, to, don't do it like underhanded. Or go, yeah, well, I hope you got a better script than I had, and stuff like that. Just, just take the higher road and just move on, because at this point, point, I don't know, it just, I to me anyway, it, it, it just kind of it's it rubs me the wrong way. But
1: I see, I see where you're coming from <laughs> for sure. So, for sure, for
2: sure. Anything else? Did we cover? I think everything that we needed to recover <laughs> um, of consequence. Anyway, I mean, obviously there's there's some things I'm sure we didn't uh,
1: we didn't touch on. Um, just that? this. Oh, we're talking about movies we're looking forward to as uh, well yes. because you were saying Thor and Guardians and all the comic book movies coming. What are you? What were you really looking forward to?
2: Ragnarok is the one I'm the most looking forward to. I think we're in the same boat about Justice League, where we're both probably going to see it, but neither one of us are really excited about the, the right. prospects. <laughs> uh, Guardians, I'm more excited than the, fir- than the first one. Uh, fast, uh, Fate of the Furious. I mean, I'm very interested in Planet of the Apes. I am interested in, but again, I think, as I mentioned in the, the, the movie episode, all these plan- all the Planet of the Apes movies, at least the, the new the new ones, they make me I, I like watching it, but there's certainly emo- emotional beats in those movies that bother me. That, that And that makes me hard to re-watch them, no matter how much I like them. It's kind of like, for me, I love Babe, I love Lilo and Stitch, but because of the sad parts in both of those movies, it oftentimes makes it... Other than if, if I'm showing the movie to somebody who hasn't seen it before, it makes it really difficult for me to sit down and watch the whole movie straight through, even though I love the movie, and, it's a, and I know they're both... Exceptionally well-made movies, and people should see them. But because there's the the, those, the sad parts are really sad, and they and they touch me. The same thing with Planet of the Apes, because I the, the Caesar, I like Caesar, and he's such a well-developed character. And some of the sad, really sad parts of the first movie stick with me, even going into the second. And I just don't like the idea that it's very likely that wherever they end up at the end of this movie going forward, Caesar's story is probably going to be done, which may very well mean he might be dead, and that's not something I'm really looking forward to seeing on screen.
1: Is is the one coming the third or the fourth one? Third. Third, since they've restarted. Okay, because I've only seen the first one. I still haven't seen the second one, then.
2: So, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Spider-Man, Spider-Man Homecoming I'm looking forward to, especially with Michael Keaton as the vulture and having, obviously, Robert Downey Jr in it as iron man yeah
1: um first and foremost it's always been thor for me i've i know you don't really love those thor movies but that's more of this you know the sword and sorcery that i kind of really love as well so out of the marvel movies it scratches that itch for me so even before i've seen anything with it i was already looking forward to ragnarok
2: i was so because of where they left off in dark world i was interested to see how they were going to pick pick that up so that interested me, the stuff with the idea of having, you know, him and Banner slash the Hulk, having this you know this cosmic buddy movie, once that we knew that was going to be a key component to this, that that interested me. I'm a huge fan of Norse mythology, so that's why as a character I like Thor. I used to read, I used back back in the day when I was a big Marvel guy, I used to read Thor all, all the time. So I just think, it's not like I hate either of the Thor movies, it's just that I don't think they're the they're the best and the brightest that we've seen so far in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Certainly not Dark World. Dark World is <laughs> just objectively speaking, Dark World is at the bottom of the barrel of the, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is still not that which is still not that bad compared to other <laughs> franchises. And I'm not saying it necessarily has to be whatever number we're up to, 13 or 14 now. I'm not saying it has to be at the bottom, but it's certainly in the same general vicinity. Let's say of uh, like Iron Man 2, Borderline Iron Man 3, uh, uh, The Incredible Hulk, which again, it's not a bad movie. But again, you, it's, it's, the more good stuff that comes out, it just pushes everything further down. That's, that's just the nature of the beast. Like, Iron Man, right. I mean, even for me, I like the original Iron Man because of Robert Downey Jr. in it, because of the expectations for it, which weren't much, and because of what it means to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Without Iron Man being what it was, we would not have what we have now. That being said, the more movies that come out, it's harder and harder to justify keeping Iron Man, like, in the top three or the top four because there's better stuff that's come along that I like. Definitely. like. I mean, a lot of people went bat shit crazy over Guardians. To me, I like Guardians, but it didn't... It doesn't... It doesn't appeal to me that... It was entertaining, but it doesn't ha- resonate with me that much to where I'm going to put it over, let's say, The Avengers, which I like, and also because of the significance of The Avengers. That was an event movie. The Avengers was an event movie, which we kind of hope Infinity War will be. But certainly, everything The Avengers was as an event movie was everything Age of Ultron wasn't. hmm Uh... And I like Civil War, I like Winter Soldier, I still have a fond memory of First Avenger, I like too. But there's I also,
1: mean, the okay. cat movies would by far have a higher quality and caliber than the rest of
2: them. Yes, the, the cat movies arguably have gotten better. I mean, some people don't like First Avenger, I do, maybe people don't like it because it's a period piece more, I'm not sure, but cap, from, this, from these solo Avenger movies, there's absolutely no doubt that cap, especially if, if Civil War is the last solo cat movie we ever got, then yeah, those three are going to be better than you can. All, it's hard to imagine any character having a better three movies combined than what Cap had. But you know, Doctor Strange, I really liked. I liked Ant Man a great deal. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there, and it just it just pushes stuff you know further down the line. And I just think Dark War, Dark, you know the you know Malekith wasn't that wasn't that interesting, which is a, a flaw in a lot of the villains in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Not all of them but a lot of them, the villains have been underwhelming. It just, it just wasn't there. And I think, you know, so, so, but I think, I think Ragnarok has a real good chance to be better than all, than all the the other two. So, but I'm I'm holding, I'm holding out hope. And plus we know it's going to have more of a direct tie leading into the Infinity War. So I think that's kind of cool too. Mm
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Guardians is still definitely up there. It's, I'm really kind of at fault to really find Spider-Man I'm going to see. I'm not super excited about it, but you know, I have faith they're going to pull it off. I mean, God knows they have it's it's in Marvel's corner now, so it's really hard for them to screw it up.
2: Yeah. It, I have I have obviously I have much greater faith. I have much greater faith that they're not going to screw it up now as opposed to uh Sony. And and there were some good things. There were some good things in the Amazing Spider-Man and those two movies. There were some good. Oh,
1: the second one, man, I'm sorry. The second one was just. You know what? The best parts of the second one is when we have Peter and Gwen. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Anything Spider-Man related was just no.
2: But his Spider-Man wasn't so bad, though. I don't think his Spider-Man was bad. Uh, I think he was closer. I think he was closer to getting Spider-Man right than he was to overall Peter Parker. I think that's. I thought that was Toby's strength was doing Peter well.
1: No, we're on we opposite ends of that one oh, okay. I love Peter and Gwen in, in the second one especially. They just really made it believable that they were you know, into each other and everything that was going on with that.
2: Well, yeah, their relationship was good, but of course that makes sense because they had a relationship in real life.
1: <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I guess that will make things easier, wouldn't it?
2: Until they break up, it does. <laughs> but, they, but, but seemingly they're still good friends, so I guess your point is proven. <laughs> but – the thing that the thing that I hate about that was they they screw they keep screwing up the Green Goblin stuff
0: mm. and, as a, <laughs>
2: and as a Spider and Spider Man was my character growing up I read the Hulk and Spider Man religiously I don't care about any of this this slot or sh- whatever revisionist crap in Spider Man now his Peter Parker's arch nemesis is Norman Osborn always has been always will be. That's that is his arch enemy, the one who, the, the thorn in his side and everything else, and the and who's so got the resources behind it to make his life a living hell. That's why it made perfect sense. When once once you knew they were going to undo the clone thing, I remember having this discussion with a friend of mine back in the days when I was working at Kmart about who who the reveal, you know, who the bad guy was going to be that was behind. Basically pulling everybody's strings, I said it's going to be Norman Osborne because he's it makes the most sense. First of all, he's been forget about how many like 20 something years that he's been dead at this point. The reality is he's the one who's got the motivation, he's the one who's got the money, <laughs> and he's the one who's got who has the patience to play the long game to do what he did. You know, so but they they screwed it up, and the fact that they screwed up the Goblin again means that if we're ever going to see the Green Goblin again, it's going to be so long down the road. It's going to suck. Like Doctor Doom, it's like screwing up Doctor Doom in the Fantastic Four movies. It's like it's like they ju- these great villains and they keep screwing it up. I mean, and then having Harry be the one to to kill Gwen, it's like they go out of their way to try to do all these beats and the relationship and try to have it set up in a way to make it seem like they're trying to be you know they put Gwen first like she should be before Mary Jane and all this stuff. And then they it's like and then they screw it up. Do they have to? Yeah, did they have to kill her then? I mean, could not they made her kill her off in the third movie? Make I mean, they, yeah. they, and they they downplayed Norman so much, and it's like I don't know. It's, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: But, I agree.
2: Yeah, man. But we have a we have our hopes up that the third time was the charm for Spider Man.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's a new one, so you know.
2: Yeah, and as long as and as long as he does a good job and he likes doing the role, needless to say, he could be doing it for quite a long time. Time, exactly. <laughs> that's the benefit of casting young. Exactly. I think that's it.
1: All right, well, it, bring us it, to the ending then. Well,
2: you 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 push what you you, you do your you do your promo your.
1: Oh well, as always, people can find me on Earth's Mightiest Podcast where you hear us talk all Avengers and X Men stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at empcast and uh, comicbinding dot You'll see there's some maps posted there. The four volumes of the Dark Age of Green Lanterns, as uh, <laughs> Jim Jim named it, is up on there for you know your
2: mapping and viewing pleasure. <laughs> The, the the dark the dark ages. <laughs> or, or, or afterbirth, as we sometimes refer to it as. Oh. Uh, for us, um, that was another thing we lost in the, in the other episode. That nice, great segue we had when you, like, it's like 30 minutes in, you, you gave me a self serving promo to push the email address <laughs> and the phone number.
0: <laughs>
2: well, I guess this is a short episode. Um, <laughs> website, lanterncast.com, voicemail 708lantern. So let us know what you think there. Access our website, lanterncast.com, issue reviews, uh, Ringcyclopedia episode, dark star reviews, movie reviews, blogs, everything. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us on any of those. And we are on iTunes and Stitcher, so whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And next, I I, I don't know if we want to say what's next because who knows how we're going to record this. I know what my, what should have been next, but in, in the original plan. <laughs> but since I have since Corwin is here, the, the reality is we are probably Corwin will probably be back very shortly because we should be doing the uh, state of the Green Lantern Union. Hopefully, yes. we'll get Myron back on and have the four of us back on and, and chit chat about what we basically what we where we think the books are now, and certainly a, an overall. Just review, I guess, of where the, of the rebirth era too. So, so that should be fun.
1: Definitely, looking forward to that one for sure.
2: And thank you as always for coming on. We always have fun when we do these recordings, even back to back when it's the same recording. We always have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: man, I love talking lanterns. I mean, I, I bleed this stuff. I, you know, love the mythology and I just love the books. And I'm glad they're in a much better place than they were.
2: That is true. And on a positive note, that's where we're going to leave it. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. So thanks you, thank you once again for inviting me on to guest host.
2: Well, thank you, and you're always welcome to come back. As and you will be back. We're not going to let you go that easily, Corin. <laughs> so we'll talk to you soon, and good night, everybody. <laughs> good night.